The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Friends. And welcome to episode 159 of the Boys of Tech for Monday, the 26th of March. 2012. We're coming to you live from the studio here in Wellington. My name is Edwin Herman. I'd like to welcome on the panel via Skype, but also in Wellington, Brett King. Aloha. And how are you this week? Ah, oh, not too shabby, not too shabby at all. Oh, I think I need a teething ring. A teething ring. You t- tell me why you need a teething ring. Oh, I've got a wisdom tooth. It's coming Ooh. through and it's giving me jip. <laughs> yeah, you know, those can be painful. <laughs> and do you know what? Actually, I think I could probably find a couple of teething rings here. <laughs> you, put, you put them in the freezer and um, ah. yeah, then you chew on them when, the, when they're nice and cold and it apparently helps. Not that I remember because I was probably one when I had that. Yeah, yeah, same. Same. <laughs> I was thinking of just, you know, using gum, getting lots of chewing gum or bubble gum. Yeah, I wonder. I guess that would work. Just chewing on that. Would you have to have the tooth out? Oh, uh, there's, there's room in the jaw, so. Oh, okay. All right. Hopefully not. Yeah. Because that would be even worse. Yeah, I know. I know. Not only would it be incredibly <laughs> painful and mean I'd, you know, not be able to eat solid food on that side of my mouth for however long it takes to heal a wisdom tooth extraction but it also cost a hell of a lot of money <laughs> i know it's a, it's a really a no-win situation well yeah. apart from the fact that that if you don't get it out it would be a lot lot worse oh depending on how bad you know it, it appears to be in line with all the other teeth so it's not oh, one no, of those not yours but i just mean in yeah. general in, in, oh yeah in general if yeah. you have to have a wisdom tooth out and you choose not to it's it'll be worse than having it out oh yeah yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially that's, if you've got a wisdom tooth that's growing it, you know, out the side of your jaw or oh, some yeah. weird shape like that where it's grating on stuff. Yeah, no, that's you not know, good. I, I'm I'm fortunate in that it's growing on the side of my jaw, which actually had room. So <laughs> right, okay, well that's that's good, at least. Yes. All right, so you, I tell you what, you go find some gum, and I will introduce the, the stories. How's that? Okie dokie. So, so just looking ahead at the stories we're going to cover this week, the Pirate Bay is considering putting servers into the sky, or perhaps you could even say into the cloud, literally. Uh, technology to erase laser printing and Queensland Police. This is Queensland, Australia, by the way. Queensland Police are to go war driving. Find out why in just a moment. First up, though, the Pirate Bay wants to literally put servers in the sky. And the idea here is that by attaching them to little micro drones, if you like, autonomous craft that go up into the sky. And the yep. idea is, is that by having them up there in the sky, it's harder for authorities to knock them out of service because they'll actually need a plane or perhaps a missile of some sort to take mm. them out. So they would, yeah. Yeah, the comment from Mr. Spock from Pirate Bay was that, yeah, the only way to shut them down then would be with aeroplanes and to shut them down would be a real act of war. That's right. And in, in fact, his words, because, yeah, you are actually attacking and physically destroying a, a vehicle of some variety. Yeah. 
And they want to do it over international waters as well because that makes sense. Well, the thought would be international waters, but it would be a lot harder to do. A lot harder to do over internet, over water, over the sea. The the weather patterns are drastically different. Well, not only that, but you're obviously far away from where. I mean, where are you going to beam your signal to? You know. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Well, the whole point of this is the fact that the the actual servers themselves would remain in a secret location, land side, because they have to be. There's no way you can put no, that sort right. of that much data capacity up in the sky. These micro drones would just be the front end, the the servers that redirect yeah, the traffic right. from the internet to the secret location where the actual servers are stored. And by having a, they'd have to have a massive fleet of these things to actually get the sort of bandwidth that Pirate Bay is known to to um, to get. And you've got to think you'd have to like double that because you'd have to have those that are on the ground being you know, recharged and those that are up there. And you'd have to have more of that again for those that are currently being replaced or being, or have been damaged. So we're talking about a considerable investment in micro drones for this sort of thing. Because micro drone, these little things that they're suggesting in here, which, what was it? They've suggested a commercially available model, a, a quadcopter. And those little quadcopters, they're not designed for heavy weather. So you would get all kinds of issues. It's the the mat, the logistics behind it are quite quite big. But with the the community behind Pirate Bay, I'm sure they'd come up with a, a a good idea. It's just another one in their long line of ways, you know, thinking up interesting ways to get around having a fixed location that the police can bust. So they've thought about what hosting their stuff off sea land before. They've talked about putting their servers or their the front end servers on blimps and all kinds of other ways of having them mobile so that they're constantly on the move. And now we've got this one where they're considering putting the, the front end servers in micro drones flying around. <laughs> well, as you say, the, the theory is one thing. The logistics in practice are another. Yeah, the... Yeah, the, the <laughs> So yes. let's see how they they yeah. get on with that. But you know, precisely because if, if as they, can, they say, in theory, practice is the same as theory, but in practice, it's not. Yeah, that's actually a really good quote. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Oh, there's uh, there's a much better wording of it, but that's the the essence. Of just it. a bit, yeah. Well, let's see how they get on. I mean, if they can pull it off, they will certainly put up a big challenge to those who are seeking to take them down. That's mm. for sure. Mm. Well. Then you, what the police would – either way, you've still got to think of the, – the internet has to at some point get to these drones. So there is at some point a point where the drone network reaches the internet. Right. So wouldn't yeah. the police just change their focus to cutting down that point instead I of suspect, the micro I suspect you're right. They would, I mean, a simple trace route shows the route that the traffic takes anyway. And, and well, indeed, but and, all, if all of these micro drones are connected to the, the, the network, you're still going to trace route through those drones. You just won't physically know where the location of those drones are. But you oh, will, you mean after that? So but the next yeah, step behind it? Like, right, gotcha. You get, the, mm. you get the main pirate base server cluster, which is hidden in a secret location, and that location is being obfuscated by the fact that the, the front-end servers that redirect to that are on these constantly mobile micro drones. But then when you take an, the next step from the micro drones towards the internet, at some point it's going to get to a point that's on the yeah, land. Yeah, I thought you mean going the other target. way. 
No, I'm no, I'm not talking about the other way. I'm talking about that first way. Why would the police spend their time tracking the micro drones to then track to the uh, secret servers when they could then focus instead focus their time on the much easier task of going to the land points which actually beam to the micro drones? Because at some point, the well, you know, there's got to be some fixed point that connects to the internet as a whole mm. that the micro drones are connecting to. I you suspect know, they'll be via their radio link. I suspect so, they'll be uh, hopping providers. That's probably one of the things they'll do. No, I mean, they'll have to. They'll have to hop providers. They'll have to get pro- you know have different sorts of links to different providers that provide Wi-Fi links to radio links on that link, possibly links to satellite links to providers outside of their area. But either way, that would be that front end link would be the easier link to target in this sort of system if you were like trying to knock them down. Certainly a lot cheaper as well than uh, firing missiles or doing something with planes mm. to, to knock out the physical, uh, you know. Yeah, but the, also the logistics of if the police got hold of one of these micro drones and the information contained on the little front end server, how they could use that to possibly locate where the well, that's secret a point. That is are. a very good point. They, they could actually use that to, you know, as you say, to to go to the next link. But all very interesting. Given us a great thing to, you know, good thing to talk about. Oh, totally. It's it's, it's and an if they can pull it off, an interesting I, thought pro- yes. um, puzzle for how they could obfuscate their systems using these micro drones, and the 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 weakness that the micro drones themselves add to that system. Because it wouldn't be that hard for the police to get hold of a micro drone either by knocking it out of the sky or shooting it down. And then once they've got hold of it, can they use it? So imagine the systems that they'd have to put, Pirate Bay would have to put in place on the drone itself to make the drone not give away anything if you got mm. hold of it physically. Drive encryption. Drive encryption, self-destruction. Self-destruction, yeah, is the other one. Yep. Yeah. Costly. Okay, now let's... <laughs> Sorry? Costly, though, for that. Oh, imagine costly, if the drone yes. just fell out of the sky and you were testing it, and then you went to, to retrieve it, and it went, oh, no, somebody's unauthorized has got me, and it destroys itself. That would be annoying. That would be rather annoying, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess that just raises the challenge even more. Now, mm. uh, let's look at some technology to unprint laser printing. So basically to take the – you've just printed out your thesis – and you've noticed you've made a spelling mistake on the second page of it. So normally you'd trash that piece of paper and get and reprint the second page. So with this, you could run your page through the printer -printer. (laughs) to remove all the text and then put that same piece of paper back in and reprint it. So if you bought bought a high-quality paper for printing out your thesis on, you wouldn't have to waste another piece of that paper. (laughs) You might save half a cent. You might save, well, you know, a little more than half a cent for a good quality piece of paper. Yeah, that's true. It's about, what, five cents, I believe? Yeah. About that. So, uh, well, for, you know... For cheap laser paper, yeah, a fraction of a cent. <laughs> so, the, the, the idea here, the way it works is that it fires tiny, tiny pulses, laser pulses, a billionth of a second in duration, each one. And they fire, they fire that at the toner. And what it does is it vaporizes the toner, or at least the polymers in the toner, leaving just carbon, which, uh, of course, uh, goes away, revealing the paper underneath. Oh, have they thought about the carbon footprint of this process? Well, that is... In, a, a in very... the global warming climate, where carbon output of everything is being measured minutely, have they thought about the carbon output of Well, you know, they, they would say this, but they do say that this could be 
more eco-friendly than the traditional recycling. You know, you, you throw your piece of paper away. Well, you don't throw it away. You put it in the recycling pile and you print another page. They yeah, reckon the over time, yeah. yeah, company yeah takes it away. Picks and, up yeah. the paper and gets it and mulches it down, puts in chemicals to remove the toner and bleach the paper back out, and then they produce another sheet of good quality laser paper coming out of it. That's right. But they, they say that this could, in time, obviously not now, this is very, very early, this is sort of prototype mm-hmm. stage, but in time, that this could be a more eco-friendly way of doing it. And and if it is, good on them. If it's not, well, I guess it's still cool tech anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's still cool. Well, it's laser beams. What's more geeky than laser beams? I don't know, but I know that Steve Wozniak for a long time uh, had some green lasers when they were very hard to get. Mm. Mm. He's a laser geek. Indeed. Can't be, you know, you can't really be a geek without having some kind of fondness for the flashing of the lasers. That's right. That's right. Just don't go pointing them at planes. Just don't go pointing. Well, don't go pointing them at anybody. Well, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So much damage can be done. And as geeks, we should all be looking after our own eyesight. Yes, yes. We we have a much higher tendency of getting eye problems than your your standard everyday Joe. You're right there. Yeah. All right, now, what's the story about Queensland police going war driving? Well, this is their way of being proactive. The idea is that a lot of people have unprotected wireless networks, mm-hmm. and it's just a lot of the time it's just ignorance. People just do not know. They don't, they're not educated. And so the police, what they're wanting to do in Queensland is they're going to go war driving. They're going to take down the details of unsecured networks, and then once they've compiled them all and their locations, they're then going to do letter drops and, you know, they'll get a little note saying, by the way, your your wireless connection is unsecured. Your wireless connection is unsecured. Here are the necessary steps you should take to mm. ensure that your network is secured. Now, in case you're wondering, why are they going to this much trouble? Well, the point is, is that unsecured networks is a very, very easy channel for fraudsters to get access to the net. And often it's a channel for identity theft where they can get you know, inside well, your yeah, network. Yeah, precisely. Because if your Wi-Fi network is open and you've got machines openly sharing on your Wi-Fi network and somebody outside connects randomly to your unsecured Wi-Fi network, they can see all of the stuff that you're openly sharing on your home network. So all of your photos, all of your documents, any other stuff that you've got that you're openly sharing on your Wi-Fi network, you're basically sharing with anyone who comes past. So yeah, I think it's a great idea. It's the same sort of thing that Microsoft was trying to do way back when they were having all those issues with all of those IE6 installations that still existed. Even though we had gone all the way to IE8, and there was that big thing on the internet of upgrade, upgrade. Why don't you upgrade? What are you still using insecure Get rid of IE6. Exactly. Now. And this is just a brilliant way for the Queensland government to be proactively going around and alerting their citizens that you are openly sharing stuff with the rest of the world. You are providing an outlet for fraudsters to get access to your information. You are providing an outlet for fraudsters to get access to the internet, commit fraud, and where it gets traced back to is you. So you, <laughs> you're that end conduit that ends up with the police knocking on your door. And this so, is this is the Queensland police being the fence at the top of the cliff 
rather than the ambulance at the bottom. Exactly. I think it's a good idea. Hmm, I do too. As long as they, as long as they don't go gathering information from the open networks. That oh, you they mean find. doing a Google? Yeah, yeah. As long as they don't do a Google. On, yes. As long as their war driving is just locating and identifying open networks and not actually Sniffing. having a sniff inside That's those right. open networks. That's right. That would be bad. That would be that embarrassing would be for them. That would be a no-no. <laughs> it would be embarrassing for them. For a start, oh, it's been indeed. done before and, and the Google's been in trouble for that. But yeah, secondly, yeah. it's the police. Which is, secondly, it is the police it makes and it that would ironic. be seen as a big abuse yes. of power. Oh, totally. Totally. Now, Brett, you spotted a story about paper posters that have conductive ink and, and, and the conductive ink means what? That they can play music or something? Can you take us yeah, through yeah. this? Yeah, it, it's basically they've created this um, prototype poster that has been produced by a bunch of researchers and British scientists, musicians and researchers have formed a consortium and developed this paper poster, which they call the listening post. It's their prototype. And it is basically a paper poster with conductive ink circuitry on it. And it's got little thumbnails of musicians and songs. And you can just press the thumbnail on the poster and the poster itself will play you an excerpt from that song. It's absolutely awesome. Legal. But how does this sound get generated and where's the power source for all this? How do, how Obviously, does it's got a battery possibly printed into it. I don't know. Maybe it's got a battery which is uh, attached to the, the back of it at some point. The speaker is printed onto the paper itself. It's so, printed? Yeah, yeah. It, it's all wow. about using conductive inks to print and create. That's insane. That's, yeah. that's great. And, and embedding other little bits. So it's probably got other chips, microchips, et cetera, that have been embedded into the paper. To hold the, the music. Yeah, to hold the music and that sort of stuff, because I doubt you would be able to get that, the, the sort of fineness for a the complexity of a chip printed in the paper. But all of the rest of the circuits and connections and buttons and everything is all conductive ink printed into the paper and using the, the, the paper layers to generate buttons and that sort of stuff. So it brings that, you know, ages and ages ago, we were talking about stories uh, about how we're losing the tactility. You we're losing that tactile connection to, That's right. to That's things right. and how learning and interacting in a tactile way is incredibly good and conducive to learning and conducive to information retainment and a lot of the digital things that we're doing these days are taking us less and less further and further away of having a tactile experience with an object with a piece of information making that information far more transient in your mind whereas this this is bringing back that tactile that interaction with it is i think it's great you'd actually go up to the poster and push the button it's it's cool now have they actually where where have they put this poster or is this just a, a proof of concept at this point it's a prototype at this point. Yeah, it's just been unveiled. At so it's a, not actually up anywhere. It was demonstrated by the consortium at South by Southwest show in Austin, Texas. Oh, okay. Right. So it was uh, demoed in, in the US. Yes, it was but, demoed. But it's a UK It's a UK. It's a British technology. consortium. Yeah, it's a British consortium uh, who developed this technology and they have demonstrated it at South by Southwest show in Austin, Texas. Very nice. Mm, I think it's very cool. The only thing I, I'm thinking of is if, if if we put these up in a public place, people would probably want to steal them. 
Yeah. I mean, I know I'd be, te- I mean, I'd, I wouldn't do it, but I'd love to have one. Oh, precisely. I think it'd be great. It'd, it'd have that same sort of weird aftermarket that movie posters have. You know, movie posters, good quality movie posters have an aftermarket. That's crazy. People want to buy <laughs> the movie posters for movies that they liked or for, you know, really good posters. Because some well, movie yeah. posters are getting close to what you'd call works of art these days. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, this thing, this would have a great aftermarket for who would not want a listening post poster that had a whole heap of song clips from bands that you liked. Tell me, Brett, why is it that movie posters have that very tall and thin font? That they use for for naming the you know the the main actors and stuff. Ah, I'm not sure. They I always think it might, use that tall thin. I think it might be a perspective thing, depending on where the poster is. But because they are rather large posters, generally, where they are positioned is quite high on the eye line, and so perhaps the tall thin fonts, from the perspective of your average height person, look different to what they actually look printed from the yeah, it position. Could be. It's just bizarre. They always use that font and it, it, I don't know why. It just grates me. Or it, it might just be a, a standard font that they have traditionally always used. Convention. Yeah. A yeah. convention for movie posters. It might be. I, I don't I think it's probably something to do with perspective. Purely because of the you know, purely because of the shape of movie posters and how large they generally are and the position they're generally placed at. A colleague of mine was really, really into his movies, and, and at his home, when you walk in, there's movie posters in the lounge and in the hallway. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, there's some people that really do like them and really, you know. Yeah, yeah, because they they are a, a way to show your passion for a particular movie or just generally movies or a genre. And as I said, you know, certain piece, certain movie posters are considered pieces of art or considered pieces of pop culture art. For instance, classic Star Wars posters. Classic Star Wars posters, oh, especially yes. first release or sec, you know, first or second release from the original three movies, those things can go for big bucks when they come up on eBay, etc. There are collectors out there who want those. It's They're just, yeah, they're, they're pieces of pop culture art. The one I see around a lot is Pulp Fiction. Mm, Pulp Every- Fiction was a very popular poster. Yeah, everyone seems to have that Pulp Fiction. Because it was a very popular movie. Yeah, I guess it was. I didn't understand it. Okay, Brett, let's oh, move. You did not understand. <laughs> no, I oh, Edwin, we're going to have to have a sit down and discuss too- <laughs> that movie then, aren't we? We're going to have to have a movie show. Look, it was, it was too complicated for me. A movie episode least- where I go through and I'll explain <laughs> what happens in Pulp Fiction Well, to actually, you. that would help because for me, a movie has to be really simple and kind of lowest common denominator type stuff for me. Uh, I like complex movies. See, I, I have quite and a lot of- I like I trashy a- adventure movies. <laughs> And I like trashy action movies. See, I, I have just quite like a low IQ for movies. My, my movie <laughs> IQ is low. I think I think my normal IQ is. I have a IQ high tolerance for movies. Do you? I'll find I'll find something entertaining in most movies. It has to be really bad for me to not find something that was enjoyable about watching. Uh, see, it. I'm the other way around. Something a movie has to be like really really good for me to actually enjoy it and watch it. Mm. Oh, we're quite opposite there, anyway. So let's move on and talk about the mega upload. Uh, what's the word? Vultures is the word I was looking for. There's a, there's a fake, <laughs> yes. yeah, there's the fake law firm who's uh, uh, just a bunch of crooks, really, that that, have, that are pretending to be a law firm that are sending letters to mega upload users. So these are people that have uploaded or rather downloaded or perhaps both uh, material to and from mega upload when it was running. And they're pretending to be a law firm representing 
the copyright holders, Universal, Sony, EMI, mm. etc. And the <laughs> they're threatening them, saying that you know their their use of uh, you know a mega upload could Makes see them find for, yeah. for huge amounts of money. But if they pay this small amount of money now, <laughs> we'll make it all go away. That's right. Ten thousand euros is what they could be fined, but uh, for just one hundred and forty-seven euros, <laughs> hey, we won't worry about it. Oh my God, this exact kind of fraud has been committed for generations. <laughs> it is the look, there's somebody who's involved in something peripherally and we will tell them that what they've done is bad and could open them up to this huge fine, but if they pay us this small fine, we'll make it go away. Yeah, it's been done many times, but yeah, the vultures are definitely already landing and chowing down on the remnants. Of, you know, well, basically just the fallout from Mega Upload's shutdown. The most interesting part about this is how did these fraudsters get hold of the user list? Yes, that's what I was wondering. How do they know? Who are the account holders of Mega Upload? That's what I'd like to know. No one yeah. seems to know that right now, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's the... They're the biggest one for this. It'd be but. interesting to see what comes out of that because I've, I was wondering the same thing when I when I heard about this. I thought, well, how do they know who these people are? Did they did they hack in and get that information, or was yeah. that what made if? available somewhere, or how? Yeah, yeah might have hacked it, hacked that information. You have no idea what sort of hands mega upload servers have gone through since or, they were seized. So, how about this for a conspiracy theory? Is Kim.com behind this? Indirectly, perhaps. Ah. Possibly, but uh, isn't he banned from internet? Well, he is, but it doesn't mean he can't instruct some friends to... Uh... I don't think he would need to instruct some friends. If he had friends of nefarious knowledge, then they'd just be doing it themselves. Well, but I was I thinking that he might really be getting the proceeds, some would, of the proceeds is what I was... I don't think they implying. would even bother. We're talking a tiny amount of money that would come out of this. Tiny do, do you amount. you think? yeah. No, okay. But there's millions there, of users. Yes, it, there are it, millions of users. And if we take, say, that 10% of them are of the gullibility that would fall for this sort of thing, then that's it's still... still of, I don't know. It, that, that's, I think that's still, still significant. Small, no, I, still, I think it's small fry compared to the amount of money that Kim.com already has and has already made from the mega upload sites or the mega sites. I don't think he's got any involvement whatsoever. And we know that it's somebody in Slovakia who's doing this anyway because that's where all of the addresses point. That's right, yeah. So so if you end up paying money to this, you end up giving money to someone in, in Slovakia. Slovakia. Yeah. And the fact that they're not even greatly worded takedown notices because they don't contain any of the standard cease and desist letter information that is usual in this sort of... You know, when a law firm representing one of the copyright holders sends you a cease and desist letter, it is a cease and desist letter. They threaten proper court action. They don't say, give us some money and we won't take you to court. They say, stop doing what you're doing or we'll take you to court. That's right. It does not contain any of the wording of a proper cease and desist letter. So it's not even worded well as a letter from a lawyer. But yes, there, there will be gullible people who will fall for it. There will be. There will be. Now, Brett, let's just wrap up the show by talking about the new iPad covers. Now, this will get you racked up. I know this. Now, the the old iPad, the iPad 2, you could get those magnetic covers. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was Apple. one of their biggest things was the yeah. fact that it had magnets around the framework, which allowed you to have magnetized covers. And the fact that when you took the cover off, it would turn it on for you. Yeah, and turn it off when you put it to sleep. And turn when it you, off, when you yeah. Put the cover when on. you put the cover on. Now, here's the thing. At some point... Apple, 
they think have changed the covers because the old covers, if you've got an older cover from early 2011 or or earlier, Mm -hmm. it will not work on the iPad 3. Even though it physically clips on, the magnets and the sensors will not work. Didn't they, well... Didn't the original iPads, which had the feature of turning on and off, suffer from the problem because there was no polarity on the magnet of the sensor? When you flipped off the cover, it would turn it on. But if you just flipped the cover around to the other side, it would turn it off again. And the thinking now is that what they've done with the iPad 3 is they've made the magnet sensor have a polarity, which means that when they created the new covers or the covers that were coming out, they put in a polarity for the the sensor flipping magnet, which is why that you know, covers that were made before that or covers from third parties, which don't have the correct polarity of magnet in the correct place, are not doing their job anymore. So I can't really work out in my mind whether this is a good move or a bad move because I can see it's a, I can see why well, they're fixing a prob- no. they are well, fixing problem. Like, yeah, they fixed a problem, but they just never told anybody yeah, about that, it. That's what it is. Yeah, they haven't told anyone. So people might expect that the older covers will work, but they won't. Some Apple stores are apparently taking back old Apple covers, smart covers, and giving you new ones for if you have iPad, if you buy the new iPad 3. So Apple is doing their traditional, oh, oh crap, we didn't tell anybody about this thing and it's now causing a big kerfuffle. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll put we'll, things we'll, right. we'll just switch this. Yep, yep. <laughs> but so obviously do, that's it, not going to work for a third-party cover. So if you've no, spent some money on one of those right. really nice, fancy third-party ones, well, yeah, you, you'd have to, to wait for yeah. the next generation of that fancy third-party right. one and just keep that cover for your old iPad too. So if you do have, or if you've just purchased a new iPad, or if, in fact, even if you're considering purchasing a new iPad and you have an older cover, be aware it will, if, if it's, you know, in the first half of 2011 or older, it will not work. Yeah. So just well, be aware of that. Well, it still work as a cover. It just won't turn it on and off. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It'll you're, still you're clip on. Out, you'll still be able to. You're missing out on, oh, a fraction of a second's worth of <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the thing is, you do get used to this, and you see people just oh, you know, put the cover you, and you. Well, it's the same reason that everybody now is used to the fact that televisions and VCRs and everything come with a remote, so you can sit in your armchair and push the button. Exactly. And when you lose the remote, you're all like, "Oh my god!" So you spend literally minutes hunting for the <laughs> I remote know. when you could have just you could have it. in a couple of seconds stood up and turned the telly on. I know. I know. It's comical. But you know, it I've done this before as well. I have done this as well. I've searched the couch. I was like, where's the remote? Lifting up the couch and, you know, and I could have just walked up to the TV. And you could have walked up to the television and gone, pop, and changed the channel. That's it right. But you don't. I don't know why. It's just a human nature thing, isn't it? I know. Human nature, human nature is hilarious. It's like the, the best comedy show in the world is the bizarre things that people do. That's right. (laughs) When you take a step back and you go, you know what? You could have just gotten up and pushed the button over there. It's like five feet away, five feet away. It would have taken you a couple of seconds, but instead you spent the last five minutes trying to find the remote. (laughs) The things we do. And And the same thing for this. It's like everybody's, oh my God, it won't turn on. How am I going to turn my iPad on now that the thing won't open? Well, you know, you could open it and push the button. So yes, if you have an old, really cool third-party smart cover and you've just bought an iPad 3 and you want to use it with it, you may have to spend a fraction of a second of your time after you've opened the cover, pushing the button to turn your iPad on. Oh, Brett, you make it sound so simple. Uh, I suppose it is. Look, Brett, you have just completed <laughs> episode 159 of the longest running tech podcast in New Zealand. How's that? Excellent. 
Good one. Brett, thank you very much for co-hosting the show. Always a pleasure, Ed. All right, and that concludes this week's episode. Hope to see you again next week, everyone. Take care. Oh, and are we allowed to tell them about the uh, the website going for a bit of a revamp? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, well, we're not going to give details away, but keep an eye out because we're going to rebrand very shortly. In the next couple of weeks, we'll have a completely <laughs> new brand. Wow, it's exciting. Indeed. It's looking good, though, isn't it, Brett? It's very bright. It is very bright. That's right. <laughs> That's the only hint we're going to give away. That's the only hint. All right, take care, everyone. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye-bye.